Welcome to the Love Good Podcast brought to you by our patrons. This is Jimmy Mitchell, your host. Join me each week as I sit down with artists and thought leaders to chat about music, culture, and what we call the art of being human. You see, Love Good's more than a subscription company. We're a movement of artists and patrons who believe in the power of beauty to evangelize our culture. And we're so pumped you're here. You heard it. You heard it right. Father Ryan is back. All right. We we just can't get enough of Father Ryan Adorjan. He, of course, was the host or the co-host of our four-part C.S. Lewis series, the bonus series we did over the summer. And it's still very much summertime, but we are now on season six of the Love Good Podcast. And Father Ryan and I, well, we begin this episode really by reminiscing about some of the biggest influences in our lives. And, you know, then it really veers into a beautiful conversation about what it really means to let God be the the divine artist of our lives, to really turn us into whatever he wills. I'm reminded immediately of Michelangelo's David, right? Which is this masterful, masterful work of art. I believe it's in the Uffizi. Uh, I'm not sure if that's the name of the museum or not, but in Florence, you turn this corner, you see this long corridor inside the museum of unfinished statues. And then eventually you get to, again, this masterpiece of David. And it was said early on that, you know, Michelangelo was given this massive marble slab and he saw David inside and everything in him knew that he had to set David free. If that's not the Christian life, I don't know what it is, you know, to allow God to constantly chisel away. And even through the pain, right, of life to be turned into a masterpiece. But, you know, we can't really talk about that. We can't really even understand that process without acknowledging those great influences on our lives that have made us who we are, the shoulders that we stand on day in and day out. So this is a really fun conversation. I really hope you enjoy it. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, this is the last week the very last week that our Everything Must Go sale is officially live and operational. Okay, so go to lovegoodculture.com slash store, go buy everything. In some cases, we're just giving it away at this point, all right? Lots of amazing music, books, art, apparel, merchandise. Again, lovegoodculture.com slash store. Again, I'll be back in just a moment with Father Ryan. In the meantime, enjoy More Than What I See by Marie Miller off of her 2020 album, Little Dreams. So soon I'm left with crowns of thorns I hate everything I am Till I'm the only one unforgiven God save me from what I swear I need Petrified by lies I've started to Ages save the shadows surround me. Am I more than what I see? Am I more than what I see? Father Ryan, welcome to season six. Thanks so much. Season six already. Think about that. You've been on since season three. Is that right? I think you were a guest as a deacon, season two. Yeah, that's right. If I'm not mistaken, that was that the, was when we recorded in that danky little room in uh, Hinsdale, yes. right? Well, that was our good friend's office. 
Remember it was dark and gray? I just remember closing blinds and all of the above. Yeah, You're exactly, right. You're exactly. Right. It was Joan's office. Do you remember what we Joan. talked about? What did we talk about? Season? We talked about vulnerability. Yeah. We talked about friendship, I think. Weren't you into Brene Brown? I mean, you still are, but was, wasn't it like the beginning? Not of that? as much now. Tell me about that. She's kind of gone woke in a way. That's my impression. She's too. gone rogue. Her content is still the same, but it's, yeah. So I go back to her books. That's, look, maybe she's always been that way. I don't know. Mm. But it was her books that really helped me. Yeah. Not her podcast. So fine. I did read one of her books. The one about vulnerability. Yeah. Right. That's Which one, Daring Greatly. It launched her career, at least her more public career. Yeah, it was really her TED Talk, mm-hmm. which drew attention to the book and her work. And that was what kind of launched her into stardom. Here's a question. You're a Catholic priest. Who are your biggest non-Catholic influences? Ooh, and this could come question. in any area, not just your faith, but like any aspect of who you are. Oh my gosh. Your biggest non-Catholic influences. That's a good question. Please ask um, it of me later. I'm ready for this. <laughs> I will. Okay. I will. Maybe you can tell us yours, honestly, because I'll have to think. Really? Yeah, because I, I, I know who my influences are, but I, I don't really think about them as being Catholic or non-Catholic. So why, yeah, well, why don't you, who are yours? Michael W. Smith to start. Of course. Obviously. I think I have a higher level, a higher tolerance for cheese than the average 35-year-old because of my love for Michael W. Smith. Is he cheesy? Yeah. Oh. Like in a really delightful way. Oh, okay. His music, I mean, he started in 1983. He's about to hit 40 years of music. Wow. Yeah, pretty great stuff. But it's not just that. The, the first time I met him, actually, it was one of the first times in my entire life I felt like I was the only person in the entire world. Now, part of this is I'm, you know, fanboying hard, right? But I'm 18 years old. I've just graduated from high school. And I'm at a Micah W. Smith summer concert. He was opened up, I think, by uh, David Crowder Band. Oh, my. Back when he was back in the still day. in the band. <laughs> and I just remember having this backstage pass, spending no more than 90 seconds with him. But there was this way that he was radically present that totally blew my mind. In fact, we've got an essay in our new book, Heart Unto Heart, the one that we released last June, you know, with all of our contributing patrons and and really primarily contributing college students and young adults through Focus, through the Beauty Initiative. There's a whole essay about radical presence. And I think there was something about that encounter that forever shaped how I tried to be present to people when I'm with them. You know, nobody's perfect at this, but it's kind of crazy when you think this this person has millions of fans. And here I am, one of one of those millions feeling like the only person in the world right now. That really struck me. That really affected me. Yeah, I think it, it shapes my idea of encounter with people and how you can encounter Christ and others. Other non-Catholic influences. There's a lot. There's a whole lot. I lived in Nashville for 16 years. It's the buckle of the Bible Belt. Do you want me to keep going? The buckle you, of the Bible Belt. Long I've never heard of that. Oh, yeah. Maybe give us a few more. Yeah. So this is interesting because a handful of these are kind of like formally Catholic you know, or have serious Catholic foundations and then sort of, you know, left the church at some point. But maybe they're making a comeback, some more than others. Brennan Manning was a Catholic priest. And I actually can't recommend much of his writing because it's theologically erring in a lot of ways. But he wrote a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. And it hugely influenced me in college. It, it sort of sparked what I would call my, my second conversion to mercy, 
you know? I think it's one thing to like really love Jesus and to have a profound relationship or, or you know, sort of life affected, you know, by the gospel. But for some reason, it took me a little while to catch up to the centrality of mercy. You know, like at the heart of the gospel is, is the cross, saving us of all of our sins, you know? And, and, you know, I think for a long time, I did kind of slip into this mindset of thinking I could earn that salvation or that I somehow maybe could deserve it along the way if I just like shaped up and lived a virtuous life. Brendan Manning destroyed all of that in that book, The Ragamuffin Gospel, that we are just literally nothing without Jesus, nothing without mercy, nothing without grace. But again, even in that book, there's a lot of theological errors. Yeah. So I always hesitate to recommend it. But I also saw Brendan Manning live. I saw him live. He's a speaker. He's a preacher, right? I saw him give a talk live. What does he do now? I think he's passed on. Uh, in the oh. last 10 years, he passed away. So he's not doing much. But like he used to do silent retreats for DC Talk. Do you know who DC Talk is? No. Okay. You know Toby Mack? Sure. He was one of you know three members of DC Talk, the biggest band in Christian music in the late 90s. Hip hop means nothing to you. What would people I, do? I, I, I know if who they Toby Mack is. Yeah. I, Jesus I, I, freak. I, I, what <laughs> would people. Nothing. I, oh, I know wow. who these people are, Jimmy. Okay. That's what the nod DC was talk. for, okay, yes. So. But I don't know what their music is. I have no idea. Yeah, hip hop. But Bernie Manning was like this former Catholic priest that would do all of these silent retreats for all these big name Christian artists. He became like a bit of a spiritual director to a lot of these guys. They wouldn't have called it that, you know? And from what I understand, he never left the church. He continued to go to daily mass, but left the priesthood, ended up getting married, lived a very interesting life for sure. For sure. But he just had this way of proclaiming the furious love affair that is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I mean, he's very Chestertonian, very Franciscan, actually. And I think that really, really affected me, even though, you know, you wouldn't necessarily have called him a, a, a typically or traditionally Catholic influence, you know? Yeah. There's like five more in my mind, so let's move on to yours. Furious, what did you call it? Furious love affair. A furious love affair of God. That's what it is. So good. Well, let's see. I would say Brene Brown's not Catholic. She's an Anglican. And I think a believing one. I, I don't know. I don't know her heart, obviously. But she she gave a sermon once at the Washington National Cathedral, which was pretty good. Interesting. Anyway, yeah. So she really had a huge effect slash impact on me at a very key time. I would say another... C.S. Lewis, obviously. C.S. Lewis, for sure, yes. Refer to the recent bonus series if you want to know anything about that. And there's a writer named Anne Lamott ah. who is famous in certain circles. She writes a lot of... I don't know what to even call it. She was... I mean, she writes novels and stuff, I think. But she also now is more of like a theorist of writing and she has all these good books. Like one's called Bird by Bird which is about the way that I think it's the way her dad taught her to write by his example with her brother mm. who waited till the last second to do a project on birds. Hmm. And the brother said, how are we ever going to do this in time? And the dad simply said, bird by bird, buddy. <laughs> and so her book, Hallelujah Anyway, is one of my favorite books. It's a book on mercy. Nice. A book on mercy that really helped me. Um, we both have a thing for mercy, I think, is what I'm hearing. I think the God of the universe has a thing for mercy. You know what I mean? And But how many Christians, how many Catholics? But it takes a lifetime sometimes. The it ones, takes suffering. The you know? ones who have experienced the mercy. 
they're the ones mm-hmm. who have experienced a severe mercy, which yeah. is filled with suffering. So it is severe, yeah, but mm-hmm. still mercy. Then you learn to live as Sheldon Van Auken did yes. under the mercy. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, let's see, some more people like more local to my life, my CPE, my uh, hospital internship supervisor, Reverend Rhonda. Oh, Reverend Rhonda was a Baptist the whole minister. Reverend Rhonda is among the sassiest women I've ever known. She's, uh, yeah, she, I think she was in the, in affiliated with the Baptist church, but she was a full-time hospital chaplain. And she taught me so many things about caring for other people and about caring for myself. You know, she was the one who first said to me, I think that you are a wounded healer. Can you do it in her? No, no, I probably won't do that, but she's amazing. Yeah. She's one of the most just, mm, like truly loving individuals, yeah. I think that I've ever really felt loved by. Where she used to say, "I'm going to love on you." Yeah, I love that. I just yeah. love her so much. Being in ministry, obviously, I don't see and interact with a lot of non-Catholics too right. much, which is, I think, a, a shame—not a fault necessarily, but kind of a, an effect of the life. You know, that so much of my own life is spent in the details of the church. So, I will tell you that that one of the most impressive non-Catholics that I've met in my time in the parish is the pastor of the Lutheran church down the street, who is one of the most joy-filled, nice, supportive people I met in my time in Joliet. Yeah. I always enjoyed running into her because she was, she's, she is, she's just lovely. Yeah. You know, and truly friendly, truly, truly friendly. I was told a few months ago by a non-Catholic minister that he couldn't be in a, a book club with me because he thought he said it would be wrong for me to engage in in spiritual or intellectual conversation with somebody who I know will be in hell. So, okay, wow. all right, well, nice knowing you too. But to meet other people who are non non-Catholic but really just genuinely interested and friendly and yeah. and help me be curious about what they're about and and together how can we journey, not in a pluralistic way. Of course, I pray for them, you know, to return to the faith. But anyway. This is good. You, you made me think of my last big influence. Tell me. And I, I'm really going through the list of Protestant influences, more so than just anybody who happens to not be Catholic. Because I could talk about Winston Churchill all day long. Oh, I love you him. You know, but I'm thinking specifically now the evangelicals in my life who've totally shaped a massive part of who I am. Louis Giglio. Do you know who that is? No, but he's I the, love the name. He's the founder of Passion Conferences. Okay. Big, big, I mean, we're talking at one point, even when I was in college, they were selling out arenas downtown Nashville for this annual conference. Now they're selling out stadiums. I think their, their last big one was the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Georgia. It's like 80,000, 90,000 yeah. people. Yeah, I Just watched singing. the videos of that on of YouTube. Yeah. Chris Tomlin, David Crowder, Charlie Hall, Matt Redmond, those guys. Just singing their hearts out in praise of God. But when I, when I met Louis Giglio once, I walked up to him. This is so embarrassing. And I immediately gave him a hug. Not something you should do to a stranger, especially like a celebrity stranger. Did he appreciate it? I don't know. But then the next thing I said was, I just want you to know what a massive influence you've been in my life. I was probably a junior, yeah, junior in college at the time. I said, I want nothing more in life than to be like the Catholic version of you one day. (laughs) Which is my way of saying what you have done amongst young evangelical Christians is incredibly inspiring. Little did I know that Focus, 
was already off the ground at that point. I had never heard of Focus until I was a senior, you know. I have and, the same uh, birthday as Curtis Martin. Yes, you do, founder of Focus. That's great. That's great. And you know what's interesting? I suppose this is uh, a growing area of just appreciation, gratitude, joy in my life. Maybe this comes with getting older, but you just more and more realize how many people have influenced the man that you've become up until this point. You know, I'm standing outside the Cathedral Basilica in St. Augustine with, you know, 150 15-year-old freshmen back in May, towards the very, very end of the school year. And as we're sitting there, you know, talking about this 500-year-old parish, I mean, it's been there for 500 years. The, the current structure is 200 years old, you know. The first mass ever celebrated in America was just down the road, you know, at the shrine. That was a big eye-opener for these guys who, for the most part, don't think much beyond their family, their family tree, when pondering who they are and who they're becoming. The, the giants upon whose shoulders they stand, right? And so one by one, I started asking them, you know, what are the key figures throughout church history, the key figures up until this point that you think have shaped you and have made it possible for you to be who you are. And immediately they just started laundry listing saints. It was really cool. All the way back to to Jesus, basically, you know. Did anyone actually name Jesus? Yes. Okay, good. Yes, actually. Good. And, you know, these are really excitable guys. So, I mean, they're hooting and hollering at one point, talking about these great saints that have gone before us, you know. But it's a beautiful thing, you know, Catholic, non-Catholic, Christian, non-Christian. It's a wonderful thing for me to constantly sort of zoom out long enough to recognize that I am not my own man. I, I did not make myself, you know. It takes a village, as they say. Yeah. And you can't neglect the local influences, mm -hmm. you know. And that's something that I think is only becoming apparent to me as I get older. And I think yeah. it's more apparent to people as they prepare to maybe move on from a place or graduate from high school or something that, you know, the, the, the Catholic principle of subsidiarity mm. applies here just as much as any other time. That, yeah, you have these great celebrities who never knew your name before, you know, who have inspired you, but there are people who have given themselves to mm. you in real and concrete ways also. You know? And far more so. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. I think about like my high school principal. I have no idea what he is, Catholic, atheist, who knows? Mm. But was like a, a fatherly figure to me. Took me under his wing and I'm really grateful for him. I'm very grateful for him, actually. My high school band director, Were you a whiz director. Kid? Were you a whiz kid in high school? What does that mean? Smart? Mm -hmm. No. Well, I mean, <laughs> I've always been smart. But I didn't really, as the teachers would say, I didn't really apply myself. Mm -hmm. Ryan would be more successful if he really just applied himself. One of those, you know? Yeah, yeah. But I was the kid who, you know, my fourth period class, we had only four periods a day because we block schedules, so... My last period was all year, senior year, in the office, <laughs> you know, running passes and sorting mail. and Really? Yeah. Making huh. the announcements at the end of the day. I was that kid. Nice. So getting to know him that way and, and you know, have him be present to me and me be present to him is awesome. Yeah. 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 He just retired, actually. So do you have any local influences, Jimmy? I mean, the obvious are the ones that you spent most of today with. My dad this morning, my mom later this evening, right? Oh, what you got going on over there? 
we just are really blowing up. You're easily this. distracted by no, that. No, I don't, it's a beautiful I watch. I don't like my watch, really. I like your watch. I have an it's, Apple Watch, and it's blowing up right it's now. It's bigger than mine. To record these podcasts, this is a commercial. To record these podcasts, Father Ryan has to leave his parish and come to Tampa for some time. And this particular trip, I was I basically forgot to tell anyone that I was coming, <laughs> except for my pastor. Of course, he knows that I'm here. But like, people are like, I'm supposed to be working with, like, where are you? Uh-huh. Right? So they're kind of like, Oopsie daisies. That's great. And I didn't even set an out of office reply on my email. There you go. Oopsie. (laughs) I'm sorry. I interrupted you. No, no, no. I kind of interrupted you. Okay. Family is the big one. I think that's an obvious statement, but my youth minister in high school, hugely influential. Two back-to-back that changed my life, mostly because I saw their love for the Lord. I saw their devotion and prayer. I thought, I want that. I saw their joy and their peace and just that. I wouldn't have known what to call it at the time, but like that interior freedom, you know, and there was just a real freedom and a confidence in them. I think back to a a couple of professors in college, not Catholic by any means, but they're the people who went out of their way to take me to lunch. In some cases, had me over to their family's house for dinner as a student, you know, went out of their way to mentor me. And they're also the ones who like affected my entire library. These are the the, the men who told me what books I needed to be reading while I was studying abroad in London, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, from that point on, it was, I would say, largely priests. Never had a season of life for the last 15 years where there wasn't a great spiritual director, like a, a, a Gandalf figure in my life speaking or at least confirming truth, you know, and helped me navigate all the different options and all the different possibilities that life holds, you know, so... Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think we live in a world that doesn't always remember where it's come from. There's sort of a rejection in most cases of heritage and history or at least a, a sort of reductionist view that says everything from which we came is evil, you know? Yeah. That feels like a gross generalization, but I, I feel like I know those people who actually think there's nothing good about America, for example, nothing good about Europe, nothing good about the Catholic Church. That's like really hard for me to process because I my instincts are the opposite. Totally the opposite. I don't trust most of what is new and modern. You know, maybe that's the old soul, but I, I have a deep trust in tradition. Hmm. I'm not assuming everything's perfect. That's gone before me, but I just think it's probably a lot more perfect than me. You know? Remember that quote? From Chesterton, G.K. Chesterton, that a high society decays when it forgets the obvious things. Say that one more time. A high society decays when it forgets or because it forgets obvious things. Yeah. What are those? What would you say are those obvious things that we have forgotten? Truth exists. (laughs) That's it. That is it. Truth exists and truth is nuanced. Truth is nuanced. So we all want, we knew, I think the word nuance is the logical response to relativism. Mm. Because the relativist has kind of a good point that no, not everything is black and white and that there might be more than one way things appear to be or, or are in some case, or that things can be true simultaneously. Those are truth statements mm. that we can support, but we can't go to the distance of saying it is the objective truth that there is no objective truth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's ridiculous. It's the truth that ends all truth. Right. So the word nuance, the truth is nuanced, 
Is America totally bad? No, of course not. Is America totally good? No, of course not. Mm -hmm. You know, is the Catholic Church totally bad? No, of course not. Is the Catholic Church totally good? Well, it depends what you mean by the Catholic Church. Do you mean the divine institution, the mystical body of Christ, the organization of all believers into one fold? That's a different topic than the bureaucratic hierarchical structure of the Mm -hmm. Holy See and of the apostolic see, you know, in (laughs) Rome. I mean, and the people that make it up. Like, so you have to know what am I really talking about? So we have to be aware of people. It's a philosophical fallacy. Sweeping generalization is a philosophical fallacy for a reason Mm. that everyone in the West has rejected for a very long time. And I think that, yeah, the return to this nuanced truth is, and that's why I think it's really important, and I'll maybe wrap it up with this, is that I think it's really important to go back to local influences Mm. because a lot of people don't care about what's on Fox News or CNN. A lot of people just don't care. I don't, I truly don't care. I would love to delete Instagram because I truly just don't care about all this beat. I'm being yelled at all the time. Things are being shoved in my face all the time that, yeah, they're true. They're not true. I, yes. No, I, I mean, it's just like so much to take into, but the local influences of the men and women in our lives who are just living life living it to the best of their ability is an amazing and amazing witness. And they're living a life that is truly nuanced. Mm. A lot of the people who inspire us are inspiring us because they're living the life that we would like to live. Mm. That is not captivated by this personality, that talking head, this political ideology, that ecclesial position, but it's influenced by, you know, my high school principal. He's the high school principal of a high school with 2,000 kids in it, in Oswego, Illinois. Hmm. And all he wants is for us to be successful. That's his whole life. He wasn't married. He had a dog named Rudy. Rest in peace, Rudy. He brought the dog to school. Everybody knew the dog's name. People went to talk to I mean, was he Republican, Democrat, Christian, atheist? I have no idea. I truly have no idea. Hmm. Because that wasn't why he was there. Mm-hmm. So I think the the just to go back and to really look at truth from that perspective. You're reminding me of Mr. Holland's Opus right now. Really? Which in more recent months is a movie that's started to mean a lot more to me. You know the closing scene? Remind me. So you seen the movie? Once. Richard Dreyfuss. All right, Mr. Holland's Opus. He, oh, is that him? Yes. And he has this, obviously, you know, lifelong ambition to be a famous composer and a famous conductor. Sure. You know, the story goes that for his entire life, he was always working on this symphony, you know, this masterpiece. And yet his first job was band teacher, you know, at a public high school. And he ended up falling in love with it, sticks with it. Like one student at a time whose lives were completely transformed by his influence. But, you know, 30 years into it, 35 years into it, whenever it was, he was suddenly, you know, retiring sort of forced into retirement because, as the story goes, they weren't going to be paying for music education in his district anymore. So he was out of job. And the day that he's packing up the music room, you know, piecing out of his sort of career in education, he hears this just growing kind of rumble 
of voices in the school auditorium. And he's walking out and everybody's in on it, but him, obviously. His son, who is deaf, sort of can, I guess, barely hear the rumble, you know, and sort of says, dad, dad, what's, what's going on in there? And so they open the door and like, there's, looks like a thousand people. As soon as they see, you know, Mr. Holland, they all stand up and it's just this massive, beautiful ovation as he's walking towards his front row seat. And he realizes he's stepping into some kind of, feels like a big assembly, yeah. sort of a, a presentation, a, a sort of a, a celebration of who he was and what he did. And before you know it, the mayor, not even the mayor, the governor, who is sort of the, the, the host of the entire event, the MC, comes in, who happens to have been one of his most troubled students, who he had a massive influence on, obviously wanted to become the governor, right? It's a beautiful story. She gets up there, she gives his talk, and she basically says, you know, rumor has it that you were always working on a symphony. But she goes, look around you. We are your symphony, you know? We are the the music of your life. Yeah. It's like very cheesy, but very beautiful. You're yeah. like streaming yeah, tears. Beautiful. Then they open the curtains and there must be 50 students from every class he ever taught playing Mr. Holland's opus. Hmm. Somehow they, they got a copy of what he'd been working on, the masterpiece. And it is like a really stunning and beautiful song. But you think, gosh, that's what I want my life to look like. That's kind of what I want a part of heaven to feel like mm. this, this sense of, Hey, like God orchestrated a masterpiece with my life. I couldn't see it. It wasn't exactly what I dreamt up. It certainly wasn't what I planned, but I can look back at, you know, 50 or 85 or 90 years of life uh, with a profound sense of joy and gratitude because of what God accomplished, you know, and perhaps all I really ever want to be is the, the baton in his hand. If you remember, you gave me a baton from the, Chicago Symphony. I sure did. And you probably didn't know how much that imagery means to me because that's that's what I want to see myself. It's just a baton in the divine conductor's hand, hopefully staying out of the way and just sort of, you know, inspiring those around me to ultimately be saints, yeah. to, to, to storm heaven, you know? And that's one of those movies where it really captures what, what a life can be, you know? What's so the local. prayer then? What's the prayer? Tell me what you mean. Well, what's the prayer? I mean, make me successful. Honestly boring you know, to me. Make me, Jesus, make me good at this. Or God, help me to be. No. There was a priest who gave us a retreat once in seminary. And he said, simply put yourself in the presence of God and say, God, you are the artist. I am the canvas, and whatever you paint, let me be. I love that. Fiat. Fiat. Mm -hmm. I got a gift at the end of May from the school kids Yeah, in Joliet. Depending on when this comes out, I might be living in Naperville by that time. I think I will be living in Naperville now. And they surprised me at the end of the last school mass with a stole. That's something that priests wear. And it has the whole school, every kid and teacher's thumbprint mm. on the stole. Mm -hmm. Now I'll never wear that during mass. And I remember thinking when I was in the seminary that sometimes priests would get that stuff and you'd be like, oh God, gross. You know, like what an, what an abuse of the sacred liturgy, you know. 
But now that I have one of my own, like it made me cry. Yeah. Yeah. It made me cry because when I started at the parish, that's what I said. You're the artist and I'm the canvas and whatever you paint here, just let me be it. Let Mm. me be. Mm. So for them to do that in paint, Mm. their their little handprints, which are all over my life, you know, Mm. anyway. And I suppose that would be a, a nice point to end on when you think about the influences that have shaped us, the the heritage, the history, the, the shoulders that we stand on every day. Should it not be our hope and our prayer and our life work to be those shoulders, to, to be that legacy, you know, for future generations and ultimately f- for the sake of salvation, yeah. for the sake of, of the greater glory. So... Well, to be continued. We are just at the beginning of season six, Father. Let's get going. And do you know what I'm loving about it so far? No. We don't have a plan. We don't have a plan. Nobody knows where we're going. We're just going to be canvases. The Lord's going to be the artist. You're back in a couple more weeks. We'll see where we go and where the Lord leads. Till then, I'm on the beach. Peace. Goodbye. Freedom is a blessing. Too much is a curse. The ones who drink the most are the ones who die first. So take what you need, leave the rest on the shelf. Maybe think about somebody else. There's a new wave of anger coming down the line. It's a sideways sort of justice, and it's stealing all our time. Before you go off fighting, try to collect yourself Maybe think about somebody else You're listening to Think About Somebody Else by Kevin Hyder. If you don't know Kevin Hyder, you got to go to Spotify. You got to go to Apple Music. Just listen to everything that this man has ever put out, really going all the way back to his 2010 release, The Salzburg Revolution. There's even some deeper tracks than that, but that is the album that first introduced me to Kevin. And he has not slowed down all of these years. He continues to just be creatively genius and very fruitful. All right. The guy is always writing and always recording and seemingly always releasing a new project. So, Kevin Hyder, Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get your music, go check him out. Y'all, what a privilege to be walking through season six together. As you are probably going to notice soon, we have three regular contributors this season. That's, of course, Dr. Ryan Hanning last week, Father Ryan and Dorjan this week. Next week will be Marisol Alisea. And we only are doing one artist interview. Okay, I think this entire season, it's going to be right before the fall package, the September package goes out to our patrons. So this is definitely a a unique season of the podcast. And with that will come some big announcements towards the very end of the season as we get into the fall. But I want to go ahead and make a big announcement now, okay, that really it, it affects maybe some of us more than others. It has been years now that Love Good has had a presence on social media, specifically Instagram and Facebook. And with that has come a lot of amazing opportunities, a lot of amazing encounters and introductions to patrons and artists and others that we really love. We've reached a point, however, where it seems that there's three things happening. First of all, social media, the very idea of it is a little antithetical to the mission of Love Good. You know, we're all about encountering beauty and 
allowing beauty to evangelize our hearts and ultimately our culture, right? The problem with social media is it's life behind a screen, okay? I don't know how easy it is or even how possible it is for our hearts to be wounded by beauty, to be pierced by the beauty of God's love behind a screen, okay? So there's this kind of philosophical conundrum that we have found ourselves in when it comes to social media. And we've known that for years, but we've been sort of constantly praying about that, constantly thinking about that. That's the first big issue. The second is over the last year and a half, the world has gotten a little crazy, a little bit crazier than I am at this point willing to contend with and compete with, right? Social media isn't just this free marketplace of ideas. We all know that. There's a tremendous amount of, how would I say it, groupthink that happens, certainly on social media. There's a tremendous amount of sort of thought policing that goes on with social media. Uh, And it does seem that increasingly, there's not a lot of free speech on social media. And so for me, and certainly for Lovegood, it has become a very uncomfortable place to engage with people. It's become a highly ineffective way in my book of communicating with people as well. So this second sort of conundrum that we find ourselves in with social media right now is maybe a bit more principled and a bit more of, I would say, almost a a protest against what social media has become. But the the third reason, okay, that I'm bringing up right now for having hesitation around social media is a little more practical. Uh, Love Good, as many of you know, is in the process of moving everything down to Tampa. Now, I moved down here a year ago to take an amazing, really exciting job at Jesuit High School, this all-boys Catholic school here in Tampa. It's been a tremendous joy, a tremendous joy. And Marisol, of course, our regular contributor, our director of operations, she's been very much running the show in Nashville ever since. And, you know, obviously a little bit of support from me here and there, but she's been running the show. As you're going to find out next week, she's also in the process of getting married. Life is changing for both of us and really for love good as well. And so it has been a very huge endeavor keeping a presence on social media, one that we don't think we can sustain moving forward, at least for this next season of love good. And so this is my long-winded roundabout way of telling you that love good is going to be getting off of social media after this week. It might have already happened last week, to be honest. I'm not exactly remembering when our last post came, but there's a video where I basically explain everything I just explained to you, you know, philosophically and, and sort of principally, but also practically why Love Good for now is getting off of social media. And I hope that actually that's a, a reason for many of us to at least reconsider our own presence on social media, our own commitment to this arena, this digital virtual arena that is in many ways antithetical to Christian culture and antithetical to authentic life shared in common and lived beautifully and virtuously together. So all that being said, you've now heard it from me. You've probably already seen it on social media. Love Good is stepping back from Instagram, stepping back from Facebook. This isn't a forever decision, but it is a for now decision. And we'll look forward to hearing your comments about that. Let us know what you think. Let us know if you're one of those great people out there who have had the courage to give up social media, whether it was for good or even just for a month at a time. I think there's a lot that can be gained from that. And uh, I'm very eager to enjoy a little bit more of 
life in reality, life in flesh and blood, and a little less life behind a screen. So anyways, you guys are awesome. Thanks for hearing me out. And uh, as always, I'll be back next week with one of our, again, regular contributors, Marisol Alisea. So until then, stay classy and we'll see you around. Peace. Thanks for listening to the Love Good Podcast. Share this episode link on social media, leave us a review, and join our movement today by subscribing as a patron at joinlovegood.com. You'll start enjoying our premium content and seasonal packages that not only raise your standard for music, books, and art, but that also inspire you to evangelize culture through beauty. We can't wait to accompany you as you change the world.